Can, you can't hear my fridge. Welcome to A Different World, the fourth season of Ask Adelaide and Anna. I'm Adelaide Jigade. And I'm Anna This season, we ask curator Maya Rudovska to supply us with a handful of wise people. In each episode, you'll hear us talking with artists and curators based in either the Baltics or New Orleans. Um, so I, I am Maya. Um, I live in Riga. Well, I used to say I, I'm based in Riga, but I, I, I like to say better I live in Riga right now. Yeah, I, I used to travel a lot. Now I don't anymore <laughs> that much. I'm an independent creator. Um, I try to work internationally, but as you all know, um, uh, during the pandemic, the life has changed a bit and and my projects, international projects have kind of, you know, they kind of um, have been cut in a way, but then I moved some of my work uh, locally and yeah, what else I needed to say? Um, um, things that have changed, a couple things okay, that have changed. Yeah. Sure, sure, yeah, yeah, it's one of the things that I mentioned, yeah, my traveling routine has changed so quite drastically, I would say, but I'm happy about it, and I can tell more a bit later <laughs> why I'm happy about it, and um, I I think I decided to do more, like, yeah, more projects, like more uh, work here in Latvia, instead of somewhere else because actually I was I was um I live in Riga but I used to work a lot outside of Riga. I was not really here present in the art scene here. So I realized during the pandemic that actually I have to almost present myself again to the local community, kind of to tell them more what I'm doing because Everybody knew me, but like or know me, but um, they they didn't know exactly what I was doing. Actually, um, somehow the information flow uh, is really strange. You know, like like you can feel like people really focus on what is going on here, but they they, they don't focus on what people do outside. You know, the locals, uh, what they do like elsewhere. So that was a bit of like also revelation for me. Um, what else has changed? Um, yeah, I think I have a higher anxiety in terms of like traveling, to be honest. I'm like trying to grasp uh, what's going on with me. I like traveling, but I'm like feeling that I'm like always like now feeling more careful, like how I do it. and. Amy knows that I'm planning a trip to to the States, but I'm even thinking about that. Okay, how I'm gonna do this, how long it will be, you know, all these all these things that I never considered before the pandemic, to be honest. Um so I think these are the main things that have changed for me. Um I guess I could do my little intro since I just pushed it off on Maya, made you go first. <laughs> My name is Amy. Um, I'm a curator and writer um, and piano teacher. I have two careers um, and I live here in New Orleans. I've been here for, um, geez, almost 11 years. Um, and um, changes, I guess. Um, I, it's gone in waves, I think, as it has for everyone. There's been moments where my professional life as a piano teacher has been more dominant because the art projects that I support or have been involved in have been postpone, postponed or delayed, but that's created a nice balance for me. Um, it's interesting what you say, Maya, about your desire to connect more locally because mine has been the opposite. I feel like I've connected more internationally, partly because the people I'm working on projects with Maya and Lafia, I'm also working on a project with a French artist and a Slovenian artist ba based in Belgium. So I am connecting so much more internationally in some ways because I'm trapped in my house teaching piano by Zoom or talking to people internationally through the computer. I have been quite connected to the local community, the local art community in New Orleans um, over the years, which Maya knows because I've introduced her to it. 
but like the local communities here and my friends and artists and curators here are here, but I feel uh, are in town and doing their work, but I feel like we've all kind of just been very productive behind closed doors. So for me, it's been much more about connecting internationally because I know my local communities just here and everyone's just being a worker bee because that's some kind of all you can do when you're sort of in a holding pattern. And as I've said to Maya many times, it's come up in conversations as we planned this project, I feel like we in the arts are so used to just making do, coming up with a new plan, having a plan B, C, and D. We're so used to things falling through. So in some ways, I feel like creative people um, are, we're sort of the most prepared for the pandemic because we're used to not having any money, um, figuring things out, collaborating with people. So in some ways it amplified the things that we already did as creative practitioners, which is, you know, problem solve, be chameleons. So I think that those things were already here and not all creative people are good at those things. So that's obviously I'm generalizing, but I feel like a lot of us, it's just, it's just part of the circumstances of working in the arts. You know, your grant fell through, the venue didn't work out, two artists get in a fight, whatever. Something, something <laughs> happens, right? Even the best what laid plans as you're planning an exhibition, there's always some drama. In some ways, we are better equipped to deal with than some people who are just working nine to five jobs. So anyway, that's my rant. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Well, I think that, um, Maya, what you were saying about your life traveling um, really plays well into this first question that we wanted to ask you. We, we got a submission um, that says, Dear Adelaide and Anna, should we go back to normal and start traveling again as before, going to biennials, visiting overseas exhibitions, or not? I really long to go away, but I feel I can't because of climate concerns. What should I do? Um, to be honest, um, I'm really happy that actually the, the travels have been cut down, for myself at least, you know, because I didn't know how to do it in my life. Before the pandemic, I was a bit like, oh my God, I have to travel to this place or to that place. And it, it was sometimes like three times a month I traveled somewhere or from one place to another. It was exciting, but then at the same time, I didn't know how overwhelming it was for me until later when I actually really could be in one place and and went through that, those memories and it's really I mean people will not believe me but now when I look back and I'm like going through my archives I'm like thinking oh my god this is like really crazy and I still feel a very anxious feeling about it in a way I, I still feel like I'm not feeling happy about it you know that there are these memories that makes me feel a bit agitated you know so you know for me personally, it was kind of a relief that I could cut things down and now I can choose traveling for like, for, for let's say a longer time frame. You know, if I go somewhere, I stay for a month or longer, or it's more, you know, engaged, um, which is something that I always have liked. Uh, I like to do my projects also engaging with one or another place for a longer time frame and kind of going back several times and not instead of just going for two days or three days for something quick, you know. And and I, I'm quite happy now that if I have to do some uh, presentation or talk, I can do it via Zoom, you know, so I don't need to travel just for two days. And I think like in terms of climate change and all these concerns, how much we are, you know, spending, you know, what is the carbon uh, footprint? Um, I think that that's what we need to do. You know, I, I, I don't think there's any other option, actually, that that it was already a concern before the pandemic, everybody was talking about it, but actually only a few people were really doing something, you know, like choosing to travel less or choosing to travel uh, by other means like buses or trains or ferries. But you, you can imagine in, in Europe, we can choose other transport, but like if you have to go to, to the States, you can't really, right? Or yeah, you'd be on a you'd be on a boat for a week. Exactly, and 
And for me personally, sometimes to travel by bus, like several hours, like for example, even if I would choose to go to Warsaw from Riga by bus, it would be like a few hours and it would be a nightmare for me because I have back pain and then I'm, I would be dead, you know, after the trip, I need to recover. So there are always, you know, these concerns for, for me personally, you know. So I'm, I mean, I don't want to go back to normal, you know, I'm, I'm showing now this uh, almost like this bracket, normal, what is normal, you know. I don't want it to go back to the way we, we were engaged in the art world before the pandemic, because I think it was already too crazy. I think you could never visit all those events, all those biennales, uh, exhibitions that were, you know, that are happening. There are so many exciting things, but then at the same time, you you can't do that art tourism, what I call it, you know, it's just not possible. I think it has to be, we have to choose smarter, we have to choose in a different way how we, how we work with it. And it doesn't mean that we don't need to travel. Of course, I want to travel as well, but um, I, I'm definitely choosing a bit different path for myself for the future. Yeah, what what I've tried to do recently is try to combine things if possible. Like, oh, that country is kind of near that other one. And this, like, for instance, an exhibition that's coming up, it was going to be in April, but then I have a residency that's in May. And so I was like, well, can we move the date? Because then I'll be at least closer. It'll be less flying. But that can be hard, too, because, you know, you have to, you're working on other people's schedules and everything. Yeah, it's definitely more planning then, right? It You can't be that spontaneous. And in this world we live in now, spontaneity is actually <laughs> something that we need to embrace as well because things are changing all the time. So true. I read that that um, question also, and my first thought was, wait a second, these are so many different things all at once. You know, longing to go away, like, does that mean you just want to go lay on the beach? So longing to go away is something very different than, oh, I need to make sure I go see all the biennials. And, oh, I don't think I should travel because it's bad for the environment is a whole other thing. <laughs> so there's so many different topics. Maya kind of touched on all of them a little bit. Um, but I think there's different things in there. And I think the reality of the art world is that you can see a lot of biennials without traveling to them. And I think a lot of people don't, artists don't necessarily want to hear that. But it just means that the projects that the people want are going to go see need to be projects that you have to see. You know that idea that like maybe there's certain movies that you're like, oh, I'll just catch it later. But this one I really need to go see in the theater. Art has become that way. I'm so, I hate to say it. I know that sounds like terrible, but it feels <laughs> like so much art that doesn't look that different on a screen than it does standing in a gallery. <laughs> it's true and sometimes it's people... so true but people don't want to say that like yeah. it's a terrible thing for me to say as a curator but you know I mean, I... I mean you're gonna be judged if you say that because because you can't be I mean all this you know uh, energy <laughs> you're losing and all that <laughs> but you know Maya knows that one of the things that I discovered during the pandemic was an oculus a VR headset and I was standing in a VR in a in an environment in my VR headset the other day, and I was like, "Wait a second! There's artwork hanging on the walls in this room. It's horrible. There could be amazing artwork hanging on these walls." <laughs> Am I right? <laughs> yeah. Why yeah, is there I mean, bad artwork in my VR environment? <laughs> right that should change finally right like or start to change right no i have to say that i have to say that about the vr environment in tandem with what i just said about art fairs you know because of course i'm saying that in a very general sense no i don't always believe that yes there's a tactile quality there's something about seeing paintings in person right especially if they have a really beautiful built up you know surface so, you know, that's a really gross way of thinking about it. But I do think that we have gotten to a very different place in terms of what art is, what does it do for us, right? And I think also artists have recognized that shows social justice, climate justice. So our world needs a lot of attention that sometimes the sort of interior gaze that creative practices, you know, um, nurture is starting to 
I think a lot of artists are, are realizing like, is there ways, is there other ways for me to help um, implement change in a world that's in crisis? I think it's interesting what you said, Amy, about like how there are so many questions or so many, like it's kind of scattered the question itself. And even that points to sort of some sort of need for, for focus and sort of a, maybe like long-term investment in a place which can be like part of the part of the advice is like to spend spend more time and like in one thought in one place you know what i what i think that is behind that question actually for you know in terms of longing that we are longing more for those social interactions for those you know cocktail parties or like meeting people and you know which is actually something that comes together with all these, you know, biennales and, and things that we used to go around and see, you know, but then eventually many people just mingled, you know. They, right. They the social aspect. You're right. That. That's tr- so true. Mm. So yeah. true. Yeah. But another point I'd make, because I really see myself in this question. So for some people, you know, the going to these biennales and stuff isn't different than getting away. Like that's their form of vacationing. It's like still related to their interests and their career, but it's still vacation because if you're in Venice at the Biennale, you're still in Venice and you're still, you know, walking around eating gelato <laughs> while over of walking course, over a bridge. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. it's it's kind of like all tied together, the whole lifestyle of going to these overseas events and and getting away. Well, see, I see those as so different because I made a conscious decision in recent years to start taking vacations that have nothing to do with art. And you know what? I love them. Other trips are about art and about research, but I also like going to the beach and just thinking about the weather and what I'm going to eat and reading a book. So to me, that's what I thought when I read that question. That's what I thought. Those to me seem like different things. Longing to go away and longing to go to a biennial. Maybe for some people, those things are more intertwined. For me, they're, I find them more separate. Because a biennial seems like work to me. That seems like work. Even if it is fun and enjoyable and you're in a beautiful place, mm. I still see it as work. I mm. can see that. Yeah, I can, I can relate to Amy. I think we have even touched uh, that subject when we met. We like, have talked about that before, yeah. yeah. But I think we, we, you know, I thought about this more because I'm in a relationship with someone who is not in the arts. And I have been in relationships in the past with people in the arts, you know, spending a lot of time with someone who's outside of the field, whose life and art isn't so intertwined that you can't see the separation between the two, you know? Mm -hmm. So I feel like maybe that's something I've also looked for, having more of a, a separation because I recognize that my whole life is intertwined. Even my two different careers, my two paths as a you know, curator for many, many years, and now as a piano teacher for you know, six or seven years, um, for a long time, those paths were completely separate. And now, you know, artist friends of mine, their kids are my students. So now it's like, again, all intertwined. <laughs> and I live in New Orleans, which is a very small town. <laughs> I mean, I also, in terms of the, going back to the comment about the climate you, you know, feeling bad about travel in terms of like climate change. I agree with that, but that would require like many people in mass not flying anymore, like not flying in the way that we were, you know, like during the lockdown. Right. Is, yeah. is that a, a viable concern? Is that something we can do? Maybe. I don't know. That's a really good question. Like, is there, mm-hmm any advocacy around that, you know, travel to biennials, all of the excess, because it's not just the air travel for the biennials. There's, cool. it, they're, they're, uh, there's a lot of waste. Yeah. There's a lot of, there's a, it's not just the travel for people going to the biennials. There's a lot of things. I mean, even just shipping the artwork, that has an, a huge environmental impact. <laughs> construction, construction of temporary environments. Trash. So the whole biennial mechanism is in itself not very environmentally friendly. It's like when somebody comes to town and sets up a circus or something and then they leave and the grass is all dead and there's trash everywhere. (laughs) Right. To ask us a question anonymously, use the link in our bio on Instagram at Ask Adelaide and Anna, and your question might be featured on our next season. 
Well, the next question we have is about dealing with uh, friend success. So the question is, how do you deal with your artist friend success when you happen to feel that your career isn't going anywhere? Yeah, my friends are great, they do cool stuff, and they work really hard, but so do I. So why don't I get invited to exhibit at all those great places? In Norwegian, okay, I don't need to say this part, right? In Norwegian, envy is called misunnelse, but I unna, meaning I'm happy for my friends and their success. I want it for myself as well. How to stay positive when they go on and on about how busy they are because of all their projects when your all your applications for exhibitions for the, for the last year or so are turned down? Amy, maybe you can go first this time. Well, I mean... I, I have my point, points, but you I can go I have a couple first. things to say about that. I think that, first of all, that success comes in, many, comes in different times and in many different shapes and forms. So an artist who might be successful at 30, you know great, but maybe other people's don't hit their sort of stride or have their moment till they're 60. And that's okay. That doesn't matter. I mean, there's plenty of artists throughout history who were famous really young and then others who didn't um, sort of become well-known until later. I think that. I also think that that question begs the, um, you know, I think that question also, you know, sort of begs a sort of reevaluation of your friends. Like, who is your support system? So, you know, if the people around you, maybe they're not purposely gloating, but if that is not in turn helping you sort of feel like you can also um, rise, if their success isn't helping inspire you or helping you be the best version of yourself, then, I don't know, just something to think about. Because I think there's there is a line between friends sort of sharing their success and it being um, debilitating for some people, you know? I mean, I feel I lived in New York for a really long time and something that I don't miss about um, the social aspect of New York is the idea that, you know, you're only good at, as good as your next project. And that also doesn't leave any time for what Maya was talking about earlier, earlier which is reflection. Um, and, you know, thinking about where you've been and what you've done. So, yeah, I guess in terms of that question, I think, um, yeah, success comes at many, in many different shapes and times. So I think that, I don't know, I think it, those, are, those are the things that I immediately thought about when I read that question. And I think you have to realize that the art world isn't fair. It's not, there's not a scale of like, ooh, you're the best artist and it's obvious to everyone and that's the person who gets all the opportunities. It has a lot more to do than just with your art. It has to do with personality and social networks and mingling and who's promoting you and who's talking about you and what moment in history are you living and does your work have anything to do with that? Um, trends. So it's, it's, it can be easy to feel like, why is that person getting all these opportunities? But you just have to accept it's not, it's not fair. <laughs> right. And, you, and find your own path, you know, find your own way, your own version of success. Because what, you know, I, I, I often thought about this kind of competition when I graduated from um, grad school because, I, you know, I went to a curatorial program. And at one point it felt like we were all competing for the same jobs. But at some point I realized yeah, we were applying for some of the same jobs and interviewing for some of the same jobs, but we wanted different things. We all were pursuing paths as curators, but we didn't all want the same thing. So I think that's true for artists also, that we don't want the, all, the whole thing. And maybe what's success for one artist is a very different version of success for another artist, right? Maybe one mm -hmm. artist is really, you know, most their greatest concern is doing as many residencies as possible, whereas another artist is very concerned on making sure they can get their work into a permanent collection of a museum, right? Mm -hmm. Both very valid, very different pursuits. And maybe there's a mix of the two, but I think that we want different, success is different for different people. It may, yeah. not, it may not look the same. Yeah, it's not, it's, it's not an objective category or something. I think it's very subjective, but obviously, we've been taught to think about it as some kind of objective reality or something that for example you you go to one or another school or you go you get one or another exhibition then it means you are more successful uh, successful than someone else right but like i can i mean i can uh, tell my own story even you know uh, me coming from eastern europe what we call this place where i live you know 
and um like 10 years ago you know the baltic countries were like totally unknown territory even for europeans um and when i went to study to sweden like everybody actually everybody knew lithuanians but not latvians and we've been always mixed up you know <laughs> and lithuanians have been always a bit more successful you know and then we had to you know raise to our kind of more confidence in a way to to say okay we we also have something here we are interesting or something but it came, for me it came together with this idea of what i am my my identity and kind of to um be aware that i'm not like less than something else you know that that i don't need to uh, align with that feeling of not yet as equal you know that we we've been having you know, as a kind of post-Soviet trauma in a way, you know, especially my generation who grew up in 80s, 90s, you know, when, when we experienced this transition period. But obviously it's, 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 integ- it's kind of, how do you say, um, it's in our mentality in a way because we've been always a bit kind of under something, you know, like colonized place. And you can tell the same about people, for example, living in... Um, south of uh, America as well, you know, because it has experienced all these uh, traumatic pasts, right? Um, and uh, and I'm just thinking, you know, like success is sometimes, yeah, it's like maybe I learned that it's something I have to formulate my own success, you know, in in instead of like aligning with some other sheets of like success for example i was trying i was trying to uh, get a job for like maybe like three four years i was applying to different places and then i realized that you know i was always short in getting those jobs like i never got them i was very close like for example in norway or somewhere else but i also was was kind of longing for this idea that I will have a different life, like a better life somewhere else. And only when I came like to this realization that maybe my life is already good, what I'm like having at the moment, that it's not something that I have to chase, that there would be a, a different life somewhere else and it would be better. And it actually comes from this not yet as equal mentality, you know? Then I kind of started to look at things differently. And I'm like telling this as a bit like, as almost like this kind of, you know, um, mentorship thing, but I'm like telling, okay, but when I, when I decided, you know, this, uh, this thing for myself, my finances started to become better <laughs> so much, but I mean, like I started to get like better things in my life which I was kind of longing in a way. And it's interesting because I just decided that I'm not going to chase this, maybe this stupid dream at that point, you know, and maybe I will get some kind of a job like later on when I don't need to chase it like crazy, you know, like chase the rabbit or something. So it's interesting. And I, and another example that when I, when I was preparing for this question, I remembered like some 10 years ago, I, I dated one artist who was quite successful at that time. But I was not, I mean, in, in like, if I compare to him, I'm like, I was like nothing in a way, you know? And he was complaining. I remember he was complaining all the time how bad he was doing, how bad exhibitions he was having something, although he was having like a really good job. He was like, doing great in his artistic career and I was really struggling to get like anywhere and and I just remembered this and then I thought okay yeah our idea about success is different because I didn't feel like less successful than him at that time actually I was quite confident what I'm doing I just knew my place where I was and and I was working but then I thought okay someone who is already successful can feel like that he, she, they are not successful enough, and it can happen at any any time in in our life. So yeah, I think this that relative aspect you bring up is so yeah, it's really important. You know, like that these feelings of envy or there are these like elements that um can grow uh, no matter where you're at. 
And um, when I was thinking about this question, I was really thinking of about envy. Like, what is that feeling? And envy is interesting because it's kind. I think of it's kind of like a shameful feeling, and it's not cool, mm-hmm. and it's embarrassing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you don't want to admit I, it. Yeah, I don't want people to know like that I am envious. At least not like who I'm envy, like who I envy, or and at the same time, I think it's uh, it's like, good to accept that feeling. And then instead, like, look at it and, like, look, okay, so what is this, what is this feeling? Like, what, what does it point at? Does it point to, for example, like, Adelaide brings up uh, how unfair the art world is? Or is there something actually you're seeing in someone else that you feel like you've maybe sort of uh, neglected in your own life? Or is there something you, like, like yeah, what, what does that feeling hold? And, yeah. and I also think it's just good to know that, Envy is also something that, well, it's just also something that like holds us down, but at the same time it's there. So, mm. yeah, I'm just trying to mm. like breathe through it. <laughs> and yeah. actually, I I have like a like a certain friends that I will talk about it with because I think it feels better to talk about it because it's yeah. such like a shameful and gross feeling. Yeah, it seems like something that want to talk about it just gets it out of your system, lets it go, and then you're not holding on to it. Right, stewing inside yourself. You might find out other people feel the same way. Right, and because it is true. It is going to happen, and I agree. It just needs to be acknowledged. First and foremost, it needs to be acknowledged. Um, but um, but I noticed, Amy, that in the beginning you were pointing out, like, maybe you can, like, reevaluate, like, your friends or the people who do talk about how busy they are and how blah 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 but um is there like a nice nice way of actually having a conversation about it you could also <laughs> of course like skip them but if you have like a good friend you're just noticing like this relationship is like sort of making me have these like shitty feelings would right. there be any way to I know it's a, that's a good very very good question and you know I mean there's obviously different degrees Maybe it's just sometimes it annoys you when you go out and people are talking about the projects they're doing, but maybe it is a larger thing. I think that these times, especially the pandemic with people sort of having their bubbles, sort of looking around and seeing who they can rely on in these really difficult times. So, I mean, I think these problems of envy in the art world exist, obviously have always existed but I think that people are looking a lot more closely at their intimate relationships and their friendships so that's kind of why I said that because obviously you want to hear about your friend's successes but but also you need to be supported in your sort of maybe lack of success that you're feeling if that's the case so yeah yeah, I don't I don't have a solution for that (laughs) Um, but I, but I mean, in general, I think evaluating your friendships, I think we, I think a lot of us have been in that period of time. Um, I think the pandemic bring has brought people from the past into our lives. Um, there's been a lot of babies born, um, you know, the, the pandemic has, I think has shifted all of our relationships with people, you know, the reality, like a lot of people have passed away. So a lot of people's inner dynamics have changed. So when I think about those kinds of dynamics, something like envy, I can't help but think like, well, who are the people around you that are making you, like, why are you feeling so envious? Like, is it the way that the information is being relayed to that person? Right? Or is it just the, yeah, just that they're not happy with where they are in their career too? Exactly, because those are two different things. So I mean, people can be really boastful especially because of insecurity right I mean and I have certainly been to plenty of cocktail parties where I feel like sometimes the artist is just like reciting their resume to me and it's really boring like it does not compel me to research them as an artist like I want to know who they are right I want to meet the person in front of me but sometimes you I think we've all been in those situations and sometimes the person's excited about their project and that's super valid but there's definitely moments and I know Maya can relate to this as a curator where you're like you feel trapped in a corner and this person wants to tell you all of the details about this project 
And like, maybe you're trying to meet someone or like you're hungry or you really have to go to the bathroom and they're just telling you like every detail right there. Yeah. And that's tricky, right? Because you want to be polite and maybe the person, like I said, is really enthusiastic. But sometimes like, sometimes you don't want to be trapped in the corner. Yeah, it, it's similar to, you know, what psychologists tell, like, that they are not going to give you therapy at, like, dinner table or something, you know, and it's the same probably for us as well. I think it all comes down to the boundaries, because you have, we have to set the boundaries, and it's very, very important, especially in the art world, where our private lives uh, merge with our, you know, professional lives, and I've been, like, paying a lot of attention to to this because obviously like many of my friends are my colleagues but it's what you said Amy before you also separate your trips and I also try to separate these things lately because that keeps me more productive in my work and then also exactly like with the person maybe who is not who is super unsatisfied with with their um, career or 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 artistic life or something then I don't need to for example uh, deal with that person every day in my life because that's not healthy for me as well you know I can I can maybe I mean I I'm used to like working with with every you know all kinds of like personalities and people and I think it's fine we all are different we all experience hard times and also um this project that we are working on right now is about it how we can actually accept like you know when people have been going through difficult times and so on but then at the same time i think yeah it's well it's really important you know that you are not a therapist for the other person or or you are not like a mom or you know or like or like someone who has to you know do all that work you know um yeah. I mean, also, it, uh, another thing is like schedule. I feel like for me, it's been, um, I think having, you know, two careers has forced me to sort of group things together. But now I feel like that is another thing that has happened because of the pandemic in a more defined way, not just striving for some separation between my art life and my personal life, but also, you know, being very strict about my schedule. Like these are the hours when I am doing administrative work. These are the hours when I am teaching. These are the hours when I'm writing, you know? I, for me, I've had to be very, that goes to boundaries also, right? These, this is the time when I do the things. I mean, you know, I teach piano. I can't tell you how many times parents want a piano lesson on a Sunday or Monday. And those are my days off. No piano lessons on Sundays or Mondays, you know? Like I have yeah. to... And I feel like that's something that's changed, especially since I lived in New York. I felt like I worked all the time. You know, I used to work at the New Museum. I feel like I worked all the time at work. I worked on the weekends. I worked all the time. I worked when I was on vacation. I just worked all the time. And now I, that's, I, I you know, sometimes I want to just watch a movie or bake bread, right? right? So yeah. uh, making time for myself on, you know, my days off or when I take a non-art vacation has been really important. And I think that's true for all of us, again, with the pandemic, mm -hmm. being inside, mm -hmm. reflecting on our lives, reflecting on our relationships, reflecting on our lifestyles. Yeah, that's a good point for uh, success. You know, you can be more successful when you learn a bit like to separate things, not like Everything is merged and always taking up space for whatever you and other people, right? In relationship to this person's question, um, I think a lot of times what I do is you can see someone who's really su successful and think about what they did that you're not willing to do because you're talking about work-life balance. So you, I know a lot of artists who are very successful, but all they do is work or they don't nurture their relationships. They have bad health. So are you willing to do all those things that you see those people doing? And a lot of times, like, if I feel envious, I look at someone's life and I'm like, well, I, I realize I actually wouldn't want anyone else's life because some of the things that I have that are so good, I would have to give those up. That is so, so true. I have thought the exact same thing. That, that's so well put. I agree with you wholeheartedly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. So do you think we could squeeze in an, another question? Dear Adelaide and Anna, if you have an ongoing art practice for more than a decade, should your artwork 
slash new work surprise the audience each time? Oh, <laughs> ouch. <laughs> I, th- I thought this would be good since you're both curators to ask. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of a bit old school thinking. I think art shouldn't be surprising all the time, you know, especially, especially because, I mean, I mean, if it has to be surprised, like it's, I don't know, I have the problem with this word, word surprising. I, I think it's equal to something new or like, like newness to the work is important, which I, I find is something that is already into, in, in, integrated in this kind of a idea of consumerist society, you know, that every time I go to the shop, something has to surprise me, you know, and, and the art also has to be like something new, you know. Mm, I don't think so. Actually, I think the art has capacity to live through times and actually to renew itself in a way to resurrect. Like, for example, something that artists creates maybe is not is not having the momentum right now, but will be having the momentum later on or through different perspectives or something. So I, I think actually that these like that artists that don't or doesn't have to worry about these things at all no. when working you know i agree yeah. i was thinking i was thinking of how a, how an art practice in general is a form of research or like an investigation an ongoing uh digging into something and then sometimes you find something or sometimes you don't but you're still sort of it's like an ongoing process so either way it's uh, whatever you show it will be somewhere in that individual trajectory there is no such thing that feels as good as when like i'm surprised by myself I'm like oh my god did i just do this you know but <laughs> and i think like that that's what i'm striving for like not uh, or hoping that you know like occurs in the process um but to like uh, do it for to surprise and uh, but uh, but to be honest like i mean here's also why this question is kind of a bit difficult uh in itself because the audience that sees art is very different. There is not one uh, kind of uh, mass of viewers. They are all different with diff- like different experiences, viewpoints, education, right? Like you can surprise one, but you cannot surprise someone else. You know, like, like for example, uh, Amy and I go to exhibitions, we get less and less surprised probably, you know, like by seeing more and more, you get less surprised. So what does it mean to get surprised? Yeah, like someone, like a, like a child maybe sees something, he, she immediately gets surprised about some, about some stuff. So it's really... Again, it's very subjective category, I think. Well, yeah, definitely. Well, and and that word surprise, I agree, is kind of problematic. When I started thinking about it, I started thinking about risk. But yeah. I kind of prefer, Anna, the idea of discovery, that it's perhaps it's interesting if the artist has discovered something more, but maybe there is inherently some risk in making a new discovery because maybe the world won't think your discovery is as exciting as you think it is. Right? So I don't know. Surprise, I think, like that, yeah, points me to risk and possibly discovery in terms of that. Um, I don't think there's one answer to that question. Um, I would say maybe more so than how Maya reacted. I would say that I'm more willing to go for risk. And I think it, yeah, I think it's a question of motivation because is the, do you, does this person ask this question because they feel like they, that's what they see every time an artist has a new show, it's, whoa, they, now look what they did this time. Or is it personally that they feel like they should take more risk with their work? And that's different for different artists. Like some artists do do the same thing their whole career. They have an epiphany and then suddenly they want to make sculptures and they're done with paintings. I mean, that stuff happens all the time. So you're right. It's like not really one answer maybe why they're asking that specific question of course sometimes it feels that the artist i think is more interesting when the risk he is risk taking like for example think of picasso or you know some some like big name who is like experimenting all the time or like challenging you know his own or her own practice you know but then at the same time yeah i mean that doesn't mean anything. I think it can be also like you can be committed to one thing all your life, but it can be super 
uh, exciting and relevant and so on. I think it also, like, I think it, it's, we have to also think about, like, the kind of commercialization also and branding that, you know, happens when artists always make the same thing. Like, you know, there's the Donald Judd. Oh, yeah, I've seen that one. Oh, yeah, I've seen that in another color. Oh, yeah, I've seen that one, right? So we have to, I think that also has to be sort of addressed in this question also. Um, the sort of brand, branding, like, if I do something that doesn't look like my... My, like my style how do I still you know yeah. right do you think about that much as artists I do because that's what I see being successful for the most part is like people can recognize the person's work and they like that and my work is different all the time you can't see my work and, and know that I made it and it's different yeah. forms like this podcast is not totally different than other stuff that I do right yes yeah I was like um and I had this catalog of some of my work or a book. And then I was like, oh, what group show is this? And I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> it's all me. <laughs> oh, you know? my God. So, yeah. It'd be funny if at one of your shows was like, I like this artist's work, but not. And then this artist. And you're like, it's yeah. mine. It's all mine. <laughs> so, yeah. So, so it's definitely something I do think about, but I really liked sort of just swapping or just thinking of risk instead of surprise. Because I think um, surprise, I don't know, somehow it feels like more contrived, like trying to surprise. But actually knowing and going somewhere where you know, like, oh, I don't know what's going to happen here. Or like, and going there, like where you don't know what's right and wrong. Or like, that's where, like, the interesting stuff can happen. Yeah, and there's, like, an intellectual appreciation for that. Like, yeah. oh, you took a risk. Maybe it was not successful or maybe it was successful. But I think that your audience will be intellectually mm. engaged if they understand the risk factor. And hopefully it'll be a more rewarding process, you know? Like, uh, yeah. yeah, I actually th think that this uh, branding thing is, is, uh, is something that, is really challenging for like contemporary art because I mean, yeah, I, I believe like in a kind of maybe in a more like conservative way that art should be more free from that, you know, that it can live in very different forms and show up in somewhere unexpected, you know, and these days, yeah, as Amy pointed out, like we have to brand ourselves a lot, you know, we have to kind of show like, like you, Adelaide said, like you, you are different. I am also very different as a curator, <laughs> very eclectic, actually. And then, you know, like, then you sometimes think, oh, it's confusing for people. They don't understand what I'm doing, right? Or like, how they can follow my work or all these, all these questions that I think in general shouldn't be like even something that comes up, but they come up only because we... We think we have to do things in a certain way. Yeah. Like, I would never want to be a Wes Anderson artist where, like, oh, the same old actors and the same kind of color palette thing, quirky, whatever. You know, like, to me, that's not personally interesting for me to be so predictable. Even Stanley Kubrick is more interesting. I mean, he's <laughs> like more different, I think. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I appreciate uh, the uh, like the risk taking is same as Amy said, but uh, but you know, we are not conventional creators <laughs> either. <laughs> so. But yeah, so for the person's question, I guess it's just a question of of personal, like maybe to look inward. Do you want to be taking more risk with your work, and you're not? Because I don't think you should worry so much about being, you know, like what's hot right now and make sure I'm doing that. And it's so different than what I'm doing before. But if it's just like a natural evolution or you challenging yourself, then your work can be surprising just mm. through the process of, of uh, challenging yourself. Mm -hmm. I think also just believing in yourself, you know, just that makes that, you know, difference, I guess, not just following like some audience or like someone else telling you what to do just kind of hearing your own voice and then telling yourself okay this is what I need to do or this is what I want to do I usually like when I hear that voice like telling me like this is what this is what I need to do I because usually they there are just some days I trust it 
like that voice so then I'd usually like jump like hard on board so like the days where I don't feel it I'm, I'm like already stuck there so I just go on well there it's actually like an element of surprise again but then it's not about the audience but it's like making space to find new things for myself I think I think curiosity is is appealing to us as humans so if we see someone if we can sort of um take a ride on someone's curiosity, you know, if we can go along with them on that ride, that is intriguing. Mm-hmm. But, um, but also I can understand where like someone might need to do multiple bodies of work that are following some sort of repetition or it's trying a new technique. It really depends so much on how, what type of work you make and how you work because that kind of way of working serially is like really important to some people and for other people it's not. So I think it's more about, I think as, as you have all said also, I think it really is about challenging yourself and you don't have to show the work that you, if you want to play around and experiment, you don't have to necessarily show the work. You can give yourself the space. Maybe if you go to a residency where they don't really expect anything from you and you do something completely different there and you can decide this isn't for me, but at least you, you tried it. Artists always hide those things in their studios behind a big painting or behind <laughs> I always try to figure out where they're stashed. <laughs> or you accidentally see something, they're like, oh, don't really look at that. <laughs> that's the fun part of doing a studio visit at least you know, behind the curtain <laughs> well thank you thank you so much for taking the time to meet with us and give advice to our listeners thank you for having us it, um, I have never done anything I've never done a podcast I've never done anything like this before I meant to say this in the beginning, but I'll say it rather than the, at the end, I'll say it rather than at the beginning, which is that I hate public speaking. So I was curious how I was going to feel about this format as a public speaking situation because I've sort of realized over the years how much I dislike public speaking. And it's an important thing as a curator, but I, and I for many years worked on getting better at public speaking. But I also just realized as I get closer to 50 that I'm like, not, I don't like public speaking. <laughs> so I don't do want to get now? better. I don't want to get better at it. But maybe the feel? This, this feels different. You know, it feels like a conversation. Season four of Ask Adelaide and Anna was commissioned for a structure and vision for changing circumstances, a project curated by Maya Rudovska in collaboration with Bestfall Art Center and Pars Nola. Thanks to Annabelle Shin for creating the sounds we use in these jingles. Thanks for listening.